0: Hello, thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Hallelujah, God is good. Thank you, guys. Praise the Lord. You can be seated in His presence, and uh, glory to God. You know, years ago I pastored a, a gentleman. His name was Jack McKinney, and Jack with Jack was on my board, and his brother he had a brother named Ronnie, and uh, he was on my board also, and and uh, one day, Jack Jack was home and he had a heart attack. He was having a heart attack, and uh, they took him to the hospital. It was on a Sunday morning, and uh, they took him down to uh, the hospital. He got down to the hospital. They got him in, and his brother, out of being so concerned, drove down to the hospital to be with him. As he got close to the hospital, he felt himself. You know, he didn't feel good himself, and both of them had had heart issues. It was something that was in their family. And he said, I, I better stop and get a couple aspirin. And so he stopped at a convenience store, and he got him a couple aspirin uh, just to take. Maybe he'd feel better. And he got to the hospital, and when he walked into the emergency room doors, he collapsed, and he had a heart attack. And uh, his brother was, and both of them were in the emergency room, and uh, they both have had, had heart attacks. And, um, and so it was interesting. He, uh, a few weeks later, they realized that, uh, both of them uh, had blockage, and uh, Ronnie just had some stents put in, but they figured that Jack needed bypass, and that he, he needed double bypass, and he was really concerned about having that surgery. Well, he was having the surgery on a Monday, and um, and so that Sunday morning we prayed for him, but during worship, he came up and he just laid on the altar. And uh, he laid on the altar, and he just he just... You know, he just laid him, gave himself, laid himself before the Lord. And, and, and men came up and prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him. And it was a powerful thing. Jack got there the next Monday morning. And, um, and they realized uh, that when, he went, when they went in, they opened him up. And they went in. And when they went in, they realized that he didn't have to have bypass at all. And uh, God had healed him and opened his arteries. And they just closed him back up. <laughs> I mean, thanks for nothing, right? But uh, they opened them up. I mean, what a testimony. I mean, I mean, I'm thankful that God would heal me, but man, some way find out before you, you will crack my chest and open me up and start sticking tools in my heart. And uh, they realized he didn't need bypass. What a great testimony. And uh, actually, there was a blessing that came out of it because the hospital hired them to do a commercial for the hospital. Uh, because they both had a heart attack the same day at the same hospital. And uh, they both did this commercial that kept running on TV and they became celebrities. And uh, everywhere they went, people were recognizing them and saying, Hey, aren't you the guy that had the heart attack in a hospital commercial? And, uh, and so actually he, he benefited financially from it and it was a blessing. But uh, I think about it. I believe, Teresa, tomorrow I'm believing that one day go in tomorrow, they're going to realize that, you know that they're just going to have to send you home. And uh, you can laugh at that all you want, but I just believe that i got a God that can do that. And uh, I believe that that is possible. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word this morning, uh, if you'll turn to the book of John, chapter 15. The book of John, chapter 15. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about lessons from the vineyard. Lessons from the vineyard. And uh, I believe that it's God's desire that every Christian has fruit in their life. I believe it's, I believe part of the evidence of God's presence in our lives and in our church is that there's a fruitfulness in our life. And that there's a fruitfulness that that, that is that is released in our life. But fruitage, there's no good fruitage unless you have good rootage. <laughs> right? <laughs> There's no good fruitage unless you have good rootage. And uh, good roots produce good fruit. And uh, Jesus is the vine. He is the root. And if you're connected to the root and you abide in Him, He will produce good fruit in your life. And I want us to talk about it a little bit this morning. John chapter 15 beginning in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not... "...bear fruit he takes, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in Me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. Verse 5, I am, I am the vine, and you are the branches." He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch that is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Hallelujah. That's a great promise right there. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so, you will be, so will you be my disciples. I love this passage of Scripture. A few years ago, or actually in 2020, when I was in California uh, with Peaceably Gather, and we were there uh, helping stand with Rob McCoy at, um, at his church there that they were trying to close down. And uh, while we were there, we went down and we ate a meal. Uh, it was just a little south of, of uh, Malibu. I can't remember the name of the town, but it was a big wine country. It was, it was a vineyard area. And as you drove down the coast, or as you drove down, you saw these huge vineyards that were on the hills. And these, these beautiful, beautiful California vineyards. They were beautiful. And uh, I just took note of that. While we were eating dinner, we, I was eating dinner with a guy who owned a vineyard. And and I thought, man, what an opportunity to talk to someone about a vineyard. And uh, he owned a vineyard, and uh, and he was a born-again Christian. And uh, I told him, I said, owning a vineyard, I said, do Scriptures like John 15 come out at you and come alive? He said, you have no idea how much that those passages of Scripture come alive in me. And I'm going to share a little bit of a couple of things that he told me that I thought was extremely fascinating about a vineyard. And of course, of course uh, one of Jesus' last teachings and words to his disciples uh, was here in John 15. This is Jesus' last message. This is his last sermon. And uh, you would think that Jesus' last message would be something uh, that would be much different uh, but He speaks to them in a vineyard. And His last message uh, that He speaks to them is a message, is a lesson in a vineyard. And uh, because by dusk of the next day, he would, be, he would be stretched out on a cross. Now the scene of this passage is interesting. The scene, the scene is begins in the upper room. Jesus is eating with His disciples. And uh, they are... Reclining and eating, and uh, they're face to face. All their faces are on G- Jesus. There's this aroma of bread in the air, and lamb, and it's the night before Passover. It's the night before they're celebrating their deliverance that God had brought them out of Egypt and brought them out of slavery. And it was uh, the city was buzzing with people. There were rumors about the Messiah. And these men around the table knew something that, every, that the crowd outside around them didn't know, and that was the Messiah was already here. He was already there. They had walked with Him for three years, and there was no doubt in their mind that He was the Son of God. That He was the Son of God. Matter of fact, more than one prophet had prophesied that just such a day, the Messiah would arrive and deliver Israel from her oppression forever. And so the city was buzzing. And uh, they were sure how all of this was going to unfold, the disciples. They were sure how this all was going. So, so sure that they spent most of their journey from Galilee to Jerusalem discussing who would be the greatest in the kingdom and what, of what each of their positions of honor would be in the kingdom. That's how sure they were that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was the coming king. And, uh, and as they sat there in this last supper, and this dinner in the upper room, I can see John leaning over and whispering uh, to James and, and saying, Listen, I can't wait to see when he... When he Caused these legions of angels to come and to, uh, you know, and to uh, take out the Romans for all of how they had treated us. In their mind, they believed Jesus was coming with a hostile takeover. They believed that he was coming to set up a kingdom, that he was going to pull down the emperor's throne and pull down the throne and reign right there in Jerusalem at that moment. And they thought that they were going to be a part of that kingdom. That there was going to be this supernatural uh, thing that would happen. Uh, Angels would show up and begin to strike dead all the enemies of God. And that Jesus would be set up and begin to reign. And begin to uh, reign as a king. But all of a sudden, things began to unravel. Right there in the middle of that meal. Matter of fact, John recorded the exact moment that the mood had changed in that room. If you'll look at John chapter 13 and look at verses 2 through 5, the Bible says this, And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, arose from supper, and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet to to wipe them with the towel from which he was girded. In other words, they were shocked. These men can only watch in shame as Jesus girds himself and begins to wash the disciples' feet. He begins to wash their feet and so in their minds, I thought as I thought about this, I thought, why would tomorrow's king behave like tonight's busboy? I mean, think about that for a moment. Their thoughts is that Jesus is going to be on the throne by tomorrow. But here He's washing their feet. He's taking this posture of humility and this posture of washing their feet and, and, and there's this humiliation that comes on them. You read down further in verse 21, he announces not only that, but he announces that one will betray him. That someone that sits around this room whose feet he's washing will betray him. And then he announces to Peter that later that he would deny him three times. He's been trying to tell them the last three years that his appointment in Jerusalem is with the cross and not the throne. They've heard the story John 14, 19 says this. It says, A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live and you will live also. Jesus had talked about His return. He talked about Him coming. And they're they're thinking that this power and glory that's coming, His return, His disciples heard what He said, but they they heard what they wanted to hear. They were were listening, but they weren't listening. Jesus is trying to tell them that He's laying His life down. He's going to the cross. And all they could hear is kingdom and power and glory. And and all they could hear is this overthrow of Rome and that they would be free, thinking that it's the external that brings freedom. And the truth is, it's the internal that brings freedom. It's when Christ gets in you, and changes you from the inside, does not affect the outside? Your outside doesn't need to change. It's the inside that God changes. And when He changes the inside, then He affects the outside. And they're hearing, kingdom, 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 rule. And and it's all that's in their mind, and all of a sudden, Jesus is washing their feet. He's saying, I'm only going to be with you for a little bit longer, and you won't see me, but I live and I'll be with you. And all of a sudden, They're like, what's going on with him? He's got all this crazy talk. What's this crazy talk that you're leaving and you're going away? And Jesus strips away their hope. All of this hope that they have. They take this posture of humility. And I I thought in my mind as I read this, I thought I could see the pain on their faces. The shock on their faces. And, uh, And so Jesus... He says a few things. In John 13, he calls them little children. And then they, then they begin feeling small and weak. He says, I have loved you. Staring at him in disbelief, mistrust, and fear now. All of a sudden, it, they're, they're getting the reality of what he what he's saying. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Y'all thought John Hannity, or, uh, Sean Hannity came up with that. That's the, that came from the Bible. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, sinking into anxiety and dread. He said, I will not leave you as orphans, yet slumping before him like abandoned children. Here they, they have lost. All of a sudden, there's this hope that was in them. There's this expectation that was in them. All of a sudden, they're like, what do we do now? What's going to happen now? There's this fear and anxiety that comes on them. And it reveals their weakness. It reveals the weakness that is in them. And so there's this awkward silence in the room as they finish the meal. As Jesus has washed their feet. And then in chapter 14 and at the end of chapter 14 in verse 31 it says, But now the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, so I so I do. Jesus said, now it's time for me to do what the Father had commanded me to do. And then He gives this instruction and He says, arise and let us go from here. Jesus tells His disciples to get up. He said, we're leaving. Let's walk out of here. Let's go. Let's leave. Let's go. Let's go from here. And this is interesting. Stay with me for a moment because I've got to give you this background in order for you to get what I'm saying this morning. Jesus gets the disciples out of the upper room and they leave the upper room. They go down the stairs and they, they, they leave. And uh, some of them have lanterns and some of them have torches. And uh, their lamps are burning. These eleven are walking. And I, you could almost hear the deafness of the quietness of these disciples after they have just heard what Jesus had just said. And all of a sudden, this reality of where is He taking us? And you can almost hear the footsteps as they walk silently. Not a word is being said. You can hear the echoes of their footsteps as they walk through the streets of Jerusalem. As they walk through the streets avoiding the temple and the temple mount. And all the activity that is going on because of Passover. They walk out of the city and through the valley. And as they walk through the valley and they come out of the old city, they go down through what is known as the Kindred Valley. In this Kindred Valley, there was in those days is where many of the vineyards were grown and, and uh, was grown on the hillside there of the Kindred Valley. Jesus takes them down through that Kindred Valley. They walk through the vineyard, they walk in single file between the healthy between the neatly tended grapes and rows of grapes as they walk through the valley. They're walking through this vineyard. One after the other as they're walking. And I'm trying to picture this in my mind. I'm trying to look at this in my mind. And, uh, and you know, grapes have a, 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 grapes have a strong aroma in the spring when it comes close to the harvest. they They have a strong aroma. And in this time of the year, there would have been this huge aroma of fruit, of the fruitiness, the sweetness of those grapes that they would have smelled as they walked through that vineyard. But as I see them walking, all of a sudden I thought to myself, I thought, Jesus here, all of a sudden, when you get into chapter 15, all of a sudden Jesus stops in the middle of this vineyard. He stops right there. Actually, they're headed to Gethsemane. And it's in Gethsemane, up on that hill, where he's going to be betrayed. As they walk through there, and uh, Jesus suddenly stops, and he starts teaching. He starts preaching. He starts sharing. This will be the last message that Jesus gives his disciples. This is the last instruction that he gives them. I thought it must be pretty important if Jesus. And this is what he says in verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Here he reveals um, to them, he's going to reveal to them what their destiny is. What is the purpose of why he called them, why he called them together, why he put them together. What is the purpose of their life? He's going to reveal to them a a destiny to them. He says, I am the true vine. In other words, I am the root. My father is the vine dresser. He's the one who cares for his price vineyard. Jesus is the root. Jesus is the vine. He says, my father is the vine dresser. He's the one that cares for the vineyard. He's the one that takes care of the vineyard, cares for the vineyard. This is not what the disciples expected. This is not what they thought. Something Jesus didn't. So Jesus reaches down and really, what I believe He did was He reached down and He pulled up one of those roots or one of those those vines. He put it in His hand and He used it as an object lesson to them. They're in the middle of the vineyard. He's on his way to Gethsemane. He stops to give them an object lesson, to share one last message for them before his arrest in Gethsemane. This is my picture spiritually of Christians. Too many Christians I've met are standing in the shadows of the vineyard like the disciples. And they have discovered that following Jesus has turned out far differently than what they expected. (laughs) Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever... You know, when I got saved, shortly after I got saved, there was that honeymoon period. There was that euphoria of the newness of freedom in Christ and knowing what it was like to have your sins forgiven being washed in the blood being part of His there was an excitement and the newness that was on there but all of a sudden what I thought Christianity was all about wasn't really what Christianity was all about I thought that magically all my problems would be gone (laughs) (laughs) how many know your problems don't go away The difference is now you have the strength to face your problems. Huh? Now you don't have to be overcome by your problems. You don't have to be overcome by your circumstances. You don't have to be overcome by the things that master you. Now you master them. And I just thought, Gene, all my problems would go away and I didn't have to face anything that Jesus would just do it all. He'd wipe out all my debt. He'd wipe out all my enemies that I'd hear the next day that everybody that hated me would drop dead and be gone. <laughs> <laughs> I know what y'all thinking. But that's not what happens. How many know it gets real when you get saved? All of a sudden now, there's this level of responsibility that you carry. Because now, you don't have to do it on your own. Now you have somebody that walks with you, right? Like the old hymn says, He walks with me, He talks with me. Y'all, y'all still know those hymns? <laughs> y'all remember them? But now you've got somebody on the inside of you that's bigger than your problems and bigger than your circumstances and bigger than anything that you can face. And He will work all things to good, right? How many know He works all things to good? He'll turn it around. He'll turn every situation around. He'll turn every problem, every heartache, every broken relationship, every broken, every broken avenue of your life, everything that you had, had put your hand to and messed up. Jesus has a way of working in you in a way that He'll allow you to turn that thing around. And that which used to be a hindrance to you, that which used to be a heartache to you, now He will turn it into a blessing. Because that's how God works. But sometimes Christianity is not everything that we expected it to be. Some of us have to be led to the vineyard like Peter and James and Thomas and Philip. While they're there, they're feeling confused and disillusioned. But let me tell you what Jesus didn't put in His hand. He picked up, he picked up that vine... As an illustration, but let me tell you what He didn't put in His hand. He didn't put money in His hand. He didn't put a map or a military or angelic uh, invasion of Jerusalem. He didn't lay out this battle plan that angels were going to show up and, and, and this military plan that He would be sitting on Caesar's throne by the end of the day. Jesus was just thinking of grapes holding the branch of a natural grapevine. And he begins to, maybe the reason for spiritual crisis is you've not heard his words in the vineyard. Maybe we're struggling spiritually because we've not heard really what he really teaches here in the vineyard. When I look back at my early Christian life, I realize I struggled against God. I I look back and see that, that I was still thinking about a God who would help me win on my terms. How many know God doesn't work for us on our terms? They're always on His terms. I now understand what God wants from me. What God wants from me and what God wants from you is He wants a fruitful harvest for Him. Jesus wants to put back, pull back the curtains of heaven for you just as He did for His disciples. These men were weak and didn't know it. And it's funny, they were weak, but He didn't lead them to boot camp to get them stronger, to take care of their insecurities and their weaknesses. He didn't lead them to boot camp. He didn't take them to some prestige college of the day, like an oxford. He led them to a vineyard. The whole city was celebrating inside the city walls. But the best meeting was about ready to get underway and it was taking place in a vineyard. Jesus loves to convey the deepest truths with simple earthly examples. In His last message before His death, He wanted you and me to comprehend With our whole being, that He had left us with, He had left this planet for, and for us a compelling reason. And it was everything to do, it had everything to do with fruit. Jesus was about ready to reveal this message. He's standing in the vineyard outside the city, away from the festivities. They have been shocked by the events that has just taken place. And Jesus holding the branch of a mature grapevine. Verse 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing, Jesus says. And verse 8 By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. All of a sudden, Jesus starts to give this object lesson about fruit and about fruitfulness. He said in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. He starts talking about fruit. Jesus loved to convey the deepest truths with simple earthly examples. In this last message before his death, he wanted you and me to be compelled with believing the fact that he left us on this planet. A simple lesson about fruit and about root. How to be rooted so that we could have fruitage in our life. I'm telling you, this is powerful. Inside the metaphor of the vineyard, Jesus introduces a picture that's helping us understand the role Bearing fruit for God. He's going to start talking to them about bearing fruit for Him. Their main objective is bearing fruit for God. By bearing fruit for God, He said in this Scripture that bearing fruit for Him brings glory to God. That our bearing of fruit glorifies God. It brings attention to Him and His name and who He is. Jesus said this he said first of all he describes in verse 1 he says I am the true vine I am the vine and uh, the vine is not what we think sometimes we think of a vine of this stringy thing that rolls along the ground or a lattice and we think that's the vine the vine is actually the vine is actually the root it's the trunk it's the trunk of the plant that grows out of the ground most vineyard keepers Keep the vine at waist length. They say they grow... Uh, my friend was telling me that they elevate the grapes and they elevate the vine. They let the trunk of the, of the vine grow up to 36 inches or 42 inches up off the ground. I think we have a couple pictures of, of those trunks or those vines. Just so that you have an idea. That right there is the root. That's the trunk. That's the vine. That's what is called the The vine. Those up above are the branches. And you see the branches are the ones that bear fruit. But He says, I am the vine. In other words, He's the trunk. He's the root. There's another picture down here below is the root. You see the branches that break off in different ways. And out of those branches break off the fruit. But the branches have to be abiding and tied into the root. Has to be into the, the trunk. The He said, my father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser, the keeper of the vineyard. The owner, the person hired to tend it. The vine dresser, the job is simply to coax from his plant the most pounds of grapes possible. Healthy and properly tended vineyard means more fruit. He says that God is the vine dresser. God is the one that walks through and tends to each of those branches. And he says the vine dresser is responsible for making sure that there is fruitfulness that comes out of each one of those branches. That he is to attend to each one of those branches. And we know the root is good. How many know the root is good? How many know Jesus is good? He is the root. And then it says you and I are the branches. The branches focus of the vine dresser's Efforts because they produce the fruit. Branches tied to trestles pop up with sticks to let the air circulate to provide maximum amount of sunshine. Full access for tending. The vine dresser cultivates each branch so that it will bear as much fruit as possible. And the reason for letting those branches grow up like that so they're up off the ground for this reason. So that they can have maximum sunlight and maximum air. So that they can breathe. That they're easily attended to by the vine dresser. He can walk through and tend to whatever branch he needs to tend to so that it produces the best fruit that it can possibly produce. For the vineyard to really produce the branches have to, have to respond to the attention of the vine dresser. As we will see, all branches don't respond alike. Every branch in the vineyard is unique. Harvest time comes and each produce a different size crop. In other words, each branch on the vine or on the root, each branch doesn't always respond to the work of the vine dresser the same way. Each branch does not respond correctly. We as believers, sometimes we don't respond correctly when God tries to address areas of our life. Many of us do, and when we do, we produce the right fruit. There's more fruitage that comes out of our life, but when we don't, then the vine dresser has to put more attention onto us so that we ourselves can produce good fruits. It's God's desire that you produce fruit this morning. And I believe you're about to get a clear picture of what life is adding up. So let's walk through the vineyard. When we walk through the vineyard, we notice this. We first notice that the vine dresser has been out and he has taken a basket and he's put it under one of the He's put it under one of, the, one of the branches. And as we walk through, we notice that first basket. We look in it and we see that there's no fruit in it at all. There is no fruit. We go to the next row and we come and we see there's a second basket that's there. And we see that second basket... And there's several healthy clusters that are in that basket. And in verse 2, it says, one that beareth much more fruit. The first basket wasn't bearing any fruit. The second basket we walked to had some basket. The third basket is filled half full of plump, juicy grapes. you'd be proud to walk out of the vineyard with this basket. The branches is described as one that bears more fruit. So we have the basket that bears no fruit. We have the second basket that beareth fruit. And then the third basket that bears more fruit. Can the harvest get any better than this? It absolutely can. The fourth basket overflows with the biggest and the most desirable grapes you've ever seen. You didn't know one of the branches could produce so much. Jesus' description of this branch in verse 5, it tells us this, I am divine; you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. This is a basket that bears much fruit. Each of us, is a basket that is producing a clearly defined level of abundance. The question is this morning, what basket are you? Are you a basket that does, not, that does not bear no fruit? Are you a basket that bears fruit? Are you a basket that bears more fruit? Or are you a basket that produces abundant living, much fruit in your life? What basket are you this morning? The Father's wants more fruit in all of our lives. How many know God wants more fruit in all of our lives? He actively tends to our lives so that we'll keep moving up. Why? Because, because we're created to bear fruit. You and I are created to bear fruit. How much fruit is in your life today? I mean, that is a great question to ask. How much fruit is in your life today? George Bonner did a research on Christian living. And it was about bearing fruit. He said that half the Christians bear little or no fruit in their Christian life. He said our research and study, study yielded that one-third bear some fruit. And only 5% of all Christians have ever personally led somebody to the Lord and has bared a lot of fruit. Looking at the Christian that you go to church with, does these numbers surprise you? The question this morning is, can you grasp the teaching from the vineyard? Bearing fruit is not some unique phenomenon it is it is you are created to bear fruit it is the destiny of every believer to bear fruit it's not by accident Jesus's last message to his disciples was about bearing fruit there are three often misunderstood principles that unlock that can unlock you and your life of overflowing and fruitfulness in God now I'm not going to get to all of them this morning but I do want to give you a couple of them this morning as we look through and we talk about lessons from the vineyard. Each of us is a branch that is producing clearly a defined level of abundance. What level are you producing? No fruit? Fruit? More fruit or much fruit? Father's activity tends to the vine. He wants us to continually bear fruit depending on what basket Your end determines how the Father tends to us. Many Christians are frustrated about their lives and their ability to bear fruit. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Look what it says there in verse 2. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he taketh away. That's an interesting use of words there. I've heard many commentaries or interpretations that if you, bear, if you bear no fruit, you can't be a Christian. Well, others have said that means it'll be taken away, that your salvation will be taken away from you if you don't bear fruit. I've heard those commentaries. If uh, I've heard some say that If after a certain period of time you don't produce fruit that the evidence of your salvation is evident of your salvation, then you'll lose it. I don't believe that's what the Scripture is teaching here. I don't believe that's the evidence of what is being taught here. Every branch in me. Verse 2 says, it describes this branch. It says, every branch that is in me. We know the branch is in Him. The branch is in Christ. It's being described as a as in Christ, with no fruit, a branch is connected, but there's no bearing fruit. In other words, they're connected to God, they're saved, but there's no fruit in their life. Have you ever met Christians that don't have any fruit in their life at all? All of the, they've gone all of this period of time of being born again, living for God, and not having fruit. But I want you to know the New Testament describes the believer in Christ as someone who is in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Ephesians 2.20, and Philippians 3.9. I think by those scriptures we can safely say that it's possible to be in Christ, yet be like that branch that produces no fruit for a time or for a season. Salvation is never based on fruit or works. How many know our salvation is not based on works? For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, for it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 3 says, Jesus here says, you are clean. There's no question there's a connection to the vine. But He uses this word, taketh away. He does not bear fruit, He taketh away. In the Greek it means Ariel. It means to take up or it means to lift up, to raise. It means to raise up or to take up. So every branch that does not bear fruit, if you're here this morning and you're not bearing Christian fruit, this is how the Father deals with you. This is how the vine dresser deals with the branch that does not bear fruit that's attached to the root. You're saved, you're born again, you love God, you attend church, but there's no Christian fruit in your life. How does the Father deal with you? He says He he taketh away. It means to take up. It means to raise. The word is used in other places in Scripture in Matthew 14, 20. It is used for the word used to describe the disciples that took up the food that was left over from feeding of the 5,000. Matthew 27, the word bear means when Simon was forced to carry the cross of Christ that he was to bear up, to take up. John eleven twenty nine, 29, the same word, taketh away the sins of the world. Ario in the Greek, it means it does not mean to cut off. I've heard it preached where that if you bear no fruit, Jesus God will cut you off and throw you into the fire. He'll, but it does not mean that. It means to lift up. It means to bear up. In other words, the vine dresser lifts up the branch. But why? Why does he do that? He does exactly what Jesus did. As he walked through the vineyard with those disciples, he reached down and he pulled up that branch. He lifted that branch up. He lifted it up. This man in California was telling me that when he walks through his vineyard, sometimes new branches have a tendency to grow towards the ground. That they have a tendency to go towards the ground and he has to... He has to watch them. He has to bear them up. He has to lift them up so that they don't get into the dirt. The vine dresser spends walking through the vineyard. He said he spent many hours walking through the vineyard looking for these new branches and to keep them from going into the ground. When he finds them, he has to lift them up. He has to, he has to uh, you know, pull them up off out and get them away from the dirt. New branches have that tendency to trail down and to grow alone on the ground, but they don't bear fruit down there. Their leaves get coated with dust and mildew, and when it rains they get muddy. And what happens when there's mildew and there's dust on the on the leaves of so the branches or on the branches, what happens is the branch becomes sick and it doesn't produce fruit. It becomes useless. What does the vine dresser do? He doesn't cut it off or throw it away. The branch is more valuable than that. He goes through the vineyard with a bucket of water or a hose and he begins looking for these branches and he lifts them up and he washes them off. To take away means to lift up, and they would, uh, in Jesus' day, I'm sure they walked through and lifted those branches up that were down into the dirt, that got dusty, that had mildew on them, and they washed them off. They washed the earth off of them. They washed the dirt off of them. And they cleansed them. And then they prop them up and lift them up so that the air and the sunshine can get to them again. Wrap them around the trellis. And when we... Listen, it's just like us. We don't bear very much fruit when we fall into the dirt. When we fall into the dirt of life, we can look at the dirt and the dust of the earth as sin. When sin gets in our life, when sin gets on our branches, when we get in the mud and there's mildew of life that is on us, we don't produce good fruit. When we allow sin to creep in and be a part of our lives, and what we need is, is we need the vine dresser, God Himself to come by and lift us up and wash us again with the washing of the water of the Word of God. To cleanse us and wash us again so that we can get in the air. The air is the wind of the Holy Spirit and the light is Jesus, the Word of God. What happens is our branches, our spiritual branches get in the dirt. It gets in the ground. We're covered up with oppression. We're covered up with discouragement. We're covered up with everything that life piles on us and there's no fruit in our life. But thank God we have a vine dresser who is God who walks through and does not leave you there. How many are thankful that God's not going to allow you to sit and not bear fruit? He's going to reach down and how many know He meets you where you are? Thank you, Jesus. How many are grateful God met you where you were? And He reaches down and He pulls you up and He washes you off, Joe. And He cleanses you and He washes you and all of a sudden He lifts you up so that the air of the wind of the Holy Spirit can blow against your life and sunshine of the Word of God can shine on you again. And all of a sudden there's something that activates in you and all of a sudden now you can bear fruit again. Now you can be fruitful to the kingdom. Now you can do what God's called you to do. But you have to be lifted up. You have to let God lift you up out of the dust of the dirt so that the vine, the branch, can live and bear fruits. Hallelujah. Because the branch languishes. It languishes in the dirt. How does He do that, though? How does He move our branches from barren to beautiful? How does He do it? I mean... He lifts it up and He washes it off. But how does He get that branch that has laid in that dirt and laid in that mud, how does He get it again to get active and to begin to bear fruit more again? Well, here's the first lesson of the vineyard. It's all we're going to get to this morning. But here's the first lesson. The first lesson of the vineyard, if your life consistently bears no fruit, God will intervene to discipline you it is necessary. His will is, will take painful measures to bring you to the place of repentance. The purpose is to cleanse you and to free you from sin. The Bible calls it discipline or chastening. But, God, but the good news is the good news is is that His discipline is what happens when our loving father steps in into us and pulls us away from our own destructive and unfruitful pursuits as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you deuteronomy eight five what God does is how does God get how does he get that branch to produce again? He raises that branch up and and he disciplines that branch. He disciplines it by putting it in the right environment. And He, and he, and he washes off the dirt. He clips off any dead rootage or dead uh, vine or anything that would cause that, that branch to die. He wipes it off. He, What's he's doing? He's disciplining it. He's chastening it. That's exactly what God does to us when He lifts us up out of what He pulls us out of and washes us off and cleanses us. And then He disciplines us. How many know God disciplines those whom He loves? He disciplines His sons. We all sin. It's our nature. God's discipline begins when the practice of sin takes place. Unconfronted behavior, attitude, blightly, How God seeks to cleanse us, we find it in Hebrews chapter 12. You'll turn there real quickly to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see a couple of things. How God seeks to cleanse us. God is the source of discipline. He disciplines all believers. He acts out of love, right? He lifts us up out of the mud and the miry of sin and washes us off as the vineyard is lifted up. And God corrects us just as the vine dresser does the wayward branch. He corrects us. Why a loving God brings us pain. We look through this and we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. Look what it says. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise chastening of the Lord, nor nor discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chase Him if he loves Him? Right? How many know if we're not bearing fruit, the Father would discipline our lives. There's a correction that's coming. When fruit is not being produced in our life, there's a correction that comes. He'll bring correction to our lives because He's a discipliner and He disciplines those whom He loves. As we look through this, and I look over my walk with God and see very clearly that the sinful behavior, I used to be caught up in is no longer an issue. My thoughts, attitudes, habits that had dominated my life but don't anymore. How does God weed out those things in our life? How does He weed out those behaviors and those attitudes that get in our life? Because they're areas, what happens is they become areas that are unfruitful. And so God has to discipline those areas. And He disciplines those areas so that those areas may be removed from our life. Those attitudes may be removed. Those behaviors may be removed. He brings discipline to our lives so that He corrects our behavior. In other words, if we allow sin in a certain area of our life, He'll bring a discipline and correction to that area in order that we may begin to bear fruit again. I don't know about you, but God has done that many times in my life. When He begins to discipline our life, if we say yes, God moves us forward. If we say no, then the basket remains empty. I want to close with this. I want to give you real quickly three degrees of God's intervention. Number one is this. Number one, the first degree, God rebukes. Verse 5 tells us, My son despise not the the rebuke of him. In other words, he rebukes us. How does God rebuke us? There is a verbal warning. There's a result. The result of a poor choice meant to spare further pain. In other words, God rebukes in many ways. Here's how God rebukes. God will rebuke through our conscience. When He wants to bring a discipline in our lives, He'll rebuke us through our conscience. He'll, he'll, he'll let us know in our conscience that that's not right too. A word from another person. Number three, He'll use Scripture to rebuke us. Number four, He'll use preaching to rebuke us. And number five, He brings the conviction of the Holy Spirit. How many are thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you when you need to worry, when you don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because when you don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you've gone too far. And God takes it to another level then. But thank God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If we harden our hearts and close our ears, we are forced, our Father, to intensify the correction. And the second degree of discipline is chastening. In verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 12, He says, For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Who the Lord loves, He chastens. It means to bring... Distress or frustration. It means the brain distress or frustration. To chasten. It means that He allows circumstances to put pressure on you, to chasten you. He allows your circumstances to get tighter so that He may get your attention. That, hey, I need to turn this over to God. I need to lean this to God. I need to take this to the altar. I need to take this to the cross. He chastens. It comes by, he chastens us because it, sometimes it comes to the criticalness of other Christians. The word will feel like dead weight when it's spoken to us. He'll begin searching in our lives and begin to wash the dirty leaves of our lives. Number three, he scourges us, verse six, and scourges every son whom he receives. The word scourge means to whip or to inflict punishment. Same word is used when the Romans did this to Jesus. One translation causes inflicting pain. The word says to scourge every son who sins. Those who live in open sin disregard what is right. Scourge is to get our attention. He takes a long-term sin very, very seriously. What it means to be scourged by God. It means this. It means to suffer the consequences of your sin. How many know God forgives sin? But if we're unwilling to turn and we're unwilling to cleanse those branches so that we can bear fruit again, it stops up you bearing fruit for God. But what God will do is He'll allow you to walk in the consequences of that decision, of that sin, to walk it out so that it produces you to turn back toward Him. To turn back towards God. To be scourged. Y'all know God takes sin seriously. Long-term sin is very serious. He rebuked the Corinthian church. Paul did in 1 Corinthians 11.30. They were openly sinning and sharing the Lord's table. What keeps so many Christians from dealing with it And moving on into fruitfulness is there is a misconception and deception. There's a false justification in their mind to do what they want to do. They refuse to embrace truth and live a lifestyle of repentance. You want to be fruitful? You want to bear fruit? We all need to live a lifestyle of repentance. We all need to live a lifestyle of coming before God and laying down those things in our life that we've allowed to come and get dust on our branches, to mildew our leaves, to keep us in the dirt, and keep us from being up and elevated where the air and the sun is. I want to challenge you this morning. I want you to bear fruit in your life. Pastor Adam, if you'll come. Stand with me if you would this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you need a lifting up. Maybe the Father has been trying to lift you up, to lift you up out of the earth, out of what you're going through, out of the sin nature, out of the attacks of the enemy that He has brought against your life. And what's happened is is that there are certain areas that you have this morning that you've been unfruitful in. It may be in your finances. It may be in the area of of your relationships. It may be in the area of, of just your walk with God. That you've struggled. And there's no fruit that's being born out of these areas. It says, He that beareth no fruit, He taketh away. He lifteth up. Jesus is giving them an object lesson right there in the middle of that vineyard. He's saying, listen, if you want to be fruitful after I'm gone, you cannot let your branches begin to grow into the dirt, into the mildew of life. Maybe you're here this morning and you've allowed that to take place in your life. Maybe you've allowed some of your areas of your life not to be able to bear branches or bear fruit. But He's a cleansing Father this morning. He's a washing Father. The washing of the water of His Word. The air of the Holy Spirit can blow against your branch this morning. And you can begin... He can begin to discipline your life so that fruit can start being buried in your life. Let me just say this this morning. If we're going to be a church that has an effect, we've got to be a fruit-bearing church. Yes. We've got to be a fruit-bearing church. We can't be an earthly church. We can't be a worldly church. We can't play down in the dirt with everyone else and expect God to produce good fruit. But I believe God wants fruit to flow out of here that feeds and satisfies the desires of the heartbroken, the messed up, the screwed up, those who are, who are struggling. I believe there's enough fruit that can flow out of this house that can touch this city and change it for the things of God. God wants fruit in your life, in my life. We can't let sin reign in our life. We can't let attitudes reign in our life. We can't hold unforgiveness. We can't be mad. We can't have attitude. We've got to lift ourselves up. Let God put His finger in an area of our life. Let me just say this. You won't bear fruit publicly if you've got private areas of your life that is undisciplined unto God. Huh. I know y'all don't like that. Because y'all wanna we wanna coddle our sin. We wanna hold on to it. We wanna coddle our, our, you know, our disobedience, our rebellion. We wanna coddle those things, those areas of our life. God puts his finger on. Some of you, God may be putting his finger on your, on your language, on your conversations. God may be putting his finger on the discipline of your life and areas of your prayer life, maybe areas of your financial life, maybe areas, maybe God is putting his finger on there. And listen, you won't bear fruit openly until you allow God to deal that which is internal. Do I got the right crowd this morning? I don't know if you want to bear fruit, I do. This is what that vineyard owner told me. He said, you know, when I have to restore, he called, they called it restoring branches. He said, when I have to restore vineyard branches, he said, I spend that time restoring them, paying a lot of attention to them. I'm constantly looking after him. He said, listen, he said, once you restore a branch that has not bear fruit for so long, he said what will happen is if that branch will respond correctly, he said that branch will produce double of what is ever expected of it. It'll be the most fruit-bearing branch of of the whole bunch. Because there's something in the response of the branch. When the branch responds to the vine dresser, something activates fruit in it that it's able to produce more than it ever expected that it would be able to. Hallelujah. So this ain't an embarrassing thing. This is a thing where God comes and puts His finger on our lives and we respond correctly and all of a sudden we're doing things we never thought God would allow us to do. Because we've responded correctly to the vine dresser. Maybe it's loving people that are difficult to love. (laughs) We don't have any of those issues, right? (laughs) Maybe it's unforgiveness. I'm not sure what it is this morning. But I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond this morning. Maybe you feel like, Lord, I'm not bearing the kind of fruit that I wish that I should bear. I want you to examine me this morning. Examine my heart to make sure that I'm bearing fruit as you intended it to be born, bared. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. First lesson of the vineyard, when you're not bearing fruit, the Vine dresser is going to intervene. He wants to intervene this morning. I want to do something this morning. I want Joe and Michelle to come. I want is uh, Scott in here. Is Scott in here? Oh, he is. OK. And uh, Tom and you and you and you guys to come. Grant and Jen, would you come? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Liz, would you and Steve come? And we want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. You want to bear more fruit? You want to come in agreement? These are down here to pray with you. Come in agreement with you. Begin to pray. And as we worship this morning... As Pastor Adam sings, I want you to come. Those who need prayer, those who want to bear more fruit, those who want to ask God to help you bear more fruit. Maybe you've not bared the kind of fruit. We're going to get into this later, but the word bear is an interesting word when it says bear fruit. It has two meanings. One is it means to display. To bear fruit means to display the fruit. It means to demonstrate it. To to present it out there. To be seen. To demonstrate it. But it also means, for someone to bear it, means to take of it. So when it says we bear fruit, we demonstrate that fruit. Part of demonstrating fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, right? Right? having the fruit of the Spirit work in our lives. It's demonstrating it. It's bearing it. It's demonstrating it. It's displaying the fruit. And then others partaking of your kindness, partaking of your gentleness, partaking of your love, partaking of your long-suffering. That builds the body. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.